Miracle, I realize, is my adult favorite sport movie right now. They're making a, a Mighty Ducks thing on Disney Plus. And I sent that on the text gram. Emilio Estevez is in it. Emilio Estevez is in it. I can't wait for this. Gordon Bombay. Do you think Joshua Jackson's going to be in it? Yes, of the course he will. The delivery driver Richard is on Ricardo. Is that Richard? Ricardo is on. Well, no, it is Richard. Ricky? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, hi, Ricky. <laughs> home is where you say. feel at home. I'm still looking. Okay. <clears throat> Moon River. Hey, hey, and welcome. What? Just stop. Uh, hey, hey, and welcome to Three and a Half Gentlemen, the podcast, where three of the four hosts provide a refined and intellectual analysis to movies from our private collections, and a one who tries desperately to keep up. We'll let you decide which host is which, but for now... My name is Sean, and with me are my co-hosts, Jeremiah. What up, yo? I will not accept drinks for a gentleman who disapproves of me. Eduardo. Moon River. And Brandon. Darling. <laughs> with every review, we'll tell you how many drinks it takes to get through each movie selection at the end of the podcast. We'll rate the movie based on a scale of 0 to 5. 0 is a perfect film that you can watch Stone Cold Sober, and 5 is a terrible film that you must be blackout drunk to enjoy. In addition to our review, we generally pair our selection with a cocktail that we hope will enhance the viewing experience. We invite you now to shake, stir, or mix the cocktail that we've selected and mm. settle in for what we hope will be an engaging review. And this cocktail is very tasty. It's really good. so good. This is so delicious. So this so one's good. particularly good. When Edward describes it, we're going to have to take a moment to sip. I will take a sip. Uh, who's Edward? You. I'm Eduardo. No. Edward, Eduardo. <laughs> Remember that time you want to go by Edward because of Twilight? Never really? said that. Ever. Never <laughs> said that. Ever said that. I'm not going to lie, man. What movie do we got going on tonight, Brandon? Well, tonight we've got the 1961 American romantic comedy Breakfast at Tiffany's, directed by the incomparable Blake Edwards and loosely based on Truman Capote's 1958 novella of the same name. The film follows Holly Golightly, a naive, eccentric society girl living in the heart of New York. This role is generally considered to be one of Audrey Hepburn's most memorable and identifiable parts. Breakfast at Tiffany's was received positively at the time and won two Academy Awards, which were Best Original Score and Best Original Song for Moon River. Eddie? Moon oh, we go straight to that. Like, <laughs> no, no. Which was also selected as the fourth most memorable song in Hollywood history by the American Film Institute, AFI, in 2004. The film was also nominated for three other Academy Awards, including... Uh, not including, but they are Best Actress for Hepburn, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Art Direction. In 2012, the film was deemed, quote, culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant, unquote, by the United States Library of Congress and selected for pro uh, for preservation in the National Film Registry. We can definitely tell that Sean, who wrote the script, is literally got a hard on for this movie. <laughs> he seriously does that when Jesus. he likes the film. Yeah, did he you notice how the last... Little, like, remember you know, last week was all brainless, brainless shit? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I remember that shit. It's Eddie, awesome. tell me about this cocktail. You guys can feel free to write way, the script. Way the I will, fuck I will gladly, I will gladly take that off my plate. Jeremy, listen, uh, <laughs> let's talk about the cocktail because I think that it's better than the script. Yes, well, oh, with and I mean the script by uh, Edward. Don't skip my part, please. Okay. God. <laughs> with each movie, we try to pair the tone, feel, and overall impact of the story of a cocktail. For instance, when we watch a Bond movie, we pair it with a vodka martini, shaking that stirred with a lemon pill. Mm -hmm. I hope we fucking drink that fucking drink when you watch. Uh, too point, many fucks. I'm, I'm sorry. I hope we drink that drink when we drink that drink. We will. 
Uh, we'll we will drink that drink. We'll drink yeah, that drink. Yeah. Have a Bond movie. Sometimes, though, the drink will be referenced directly in the film. And other times, the drink would be simply inspired film like tonight. So tonight, since Sean suggested the film, he has offered to pick the cocktail. So Obviously, Sean, Sean suggested this one because what? it goes before 1970. <laughs> <laughs> tonight, we've got the rose and raspberry cocktail, a stylish yet simply beautiful cocktail, just like our leading lady. To make this cocktail, we mix vodka, rose liqueur, lemon juice, raspberry syrup, and a white of egg or an egg white. <laughs> <laughs> this cocktail should be served in a classic coupe with a garnish of raspberries. And I'm not going to lie. This is the fucking most delicious cocktail. I'm going to agree with you very much, sir. <laughs> this I one, could drink this all night long. It tastes a little bit like the It one. Doesn't it, it does. It's a little bit only less really sweet. Like less, yeah. And less dangerous. Yeah. But this, I this one's just, I would say this is just as dangerous. I feel like a very classy. I feel like breakfast right now. Breakfast at Tiffany's. <laughs> oh, I, I feel get like it. I feel like uh, like. How do you say Holly's last name? Go lightly. Go lightly. All right. Maybe so, three hundred dollars on the ca- on the uh, table at the end of the night for this drink is fine. No. What was the? <laughs> Can we what just move the, on? What was the? How about this? Brandon, Brandon, take us through take the, the review. Take us through our. All right. To give you thing. guys a little background on our selection process for this second season, we're going to be reviewing movies that we can, however tenuously, group together. Later in the season, we'll have a Tarantino set, a summer blockbuster set, and yes, finally, after that little drop-in at the beginning, we're going to have a James Bond set. Yes. As usual, we won't be talking about the movie straight through. Instead, we'll let our conversations flow naturally by touching on different film aspects, including plot, characters, direction, music, cinematography, and anything else that might come up. Close. You've been practicing. (laughs) You've been practicing. getting there. You've been practicing. I like it. Sorry, sorry. This uh, drink cocktail is very classy, and I feel... Uh, the pizza's here. Fuck. Pizza, man. Pizza, dude. Right, By the way, has is... anybody ever seen The Burbs? Yes. Yeah. All right, so I think we should start, because this is my pick, and I'm in control. <laughs> <laughs> With how freaking beautiful Audrey Hepburn is. I agree. I, I, would, I definitely agree. Yeah, I agree with Eddie, and I agree with Sean, and... Jeremiah? Seriously, I I think when you think of Hollywood, just classic and just glamorous and things like that, you just think just of Audrey. Hot. She is so freaking, freaking. beautiful. And yes. the image, the image of her hair. She's like cute up. and beautiful at the same yeah, time. Yeah, it's like her hair up in the bun. It's a black dress. It's the pearls. It's that long cigarette. Right. It's it. walking in the dress. Yeah, and like, then God just... damn it, she opens her mouth and talks, and then she ruins it all. <laughs> no, very <but laughs> Elliot with the pearls. Just think about the, the yeah. opening scene. Hands down, it's got to be the most iconic opening scene in cinema history. Like seriously, it's just so amazing. She's just walking around like the only soul in lo- in New York, New York, just walking around eating her bun. Yeah, and it's just. It's was so it, effortless, but she's, like so grace- bun, yeah. she's so graceful. I can't. I just love that fucking scene in the movie. Yeah, and and honestly, this is my favorite like pairing. So we've got Blake Edwards, who I think is probably one of the best comedic directors in the history of the world. Pink Panther, right? Pink Panther, and my favorite movie of all time, which is A Great Race. Uh, so it's Blake Edwards with Henry Mancini, the best musician, you know, before John, John Williams. Williams. Oh, okay. Wait, wait to clarify. Yeah. Okay. And and a starlet that just is fucking amazing. So in the great race you had um, Natalie Wood, which nice. I think is is pretty much on par with uh, with Audrey Hepburn. But I agree here, with you. there's nothing so graceful. And I haven't seen this movie since probably. I want to go ahead and say I was 17 or 18. Really, it's been a long time. This is well, never you're only 23 now. 
<laughs> this, yeah, has never been, <laughs> this has never been one of my favorite uh, Audrey Hepburn movies. And honestly, holistically, from a Blake Edwards movie, I'm, I'm disappointed that it's not funnier. Ooh, I will agree with you. Because Blake Edwards is a comedic he is director, and hilarious. he's brilliant. So, yeah, I want to jump in real quick and say the Pink Panther series, they have some flops, but as a whole, I think that they might be one of the funniest, if not the funniest, grouping of movies ever. I think Blake Edwards is an absolute genius. I think he's a comedic genius. Um, so I would agree with you 100%. Yeah, um, yeah no, I want to say another thing that I'm really disappointed in, uh, something I was kind of looking forward to as soon as I, I was told that we were doing this movie, Sean, um, is... I kept waiting for the song by Deep Blue Something to come on, which is honestly one of my favorite 90s shirts. One of my favorite 90s songs ever. God bless the 90s. That was, uh, yeah, remember last week we were talking about how great the 90s were, Sean? Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, no, joke's over. But um, that song, I absolutely loved. This movie, uh, that song, I absolutely loved. And I hope I I can, over the course of this, I hope I can build you at least a little bit back into this movie. Because I think there's a lot of subtext there that that maybe you're not you know you're not appreciating, but I, I don't Possibly. I don't think that this is a top notch 1960s movie. I don't think this is one of the best movies ever made. I put that on there about the AFI Film Institute because I was surprised. If you look at movies like North by Northwest, Psycho, some of the old movies that we've done. I don't think it holds a candle to those movies. I think it's just Audrey. I think it's just her in this movie. And I think she is her character and her just style inspired a lot of generations. And I think it's just it's over time. People put this in like, I know, at the pedestal, like this is that movie. You know what I'm saying? Have you guys seen? Has anyone seen Charade? No. So we'll do Charade. um, And that's Hitchcock, right? That's Hitchcock. Yeah. And Audrey Hepburn. And she plays a very similar, graceful, beautiful 60s character. But she was also in a movie called um, Roman Holiday. Roman Holiday. Yeah. And with Gregory Peck. And she was equally gorgeous in that. Mm -hmm. Those, to me, are far superior movies than this one. So So I'm going to say this, and I don't mean this as a joke. I really don't. But I feel like if I had watched this movie on mute, I think I would have enjoyed it a whole lot more. And I really mean that. I think the writing really hurt this one. I think the cinematog- cinematographically, yeah. I, it, uh, I thought that this one was was excellent. I really did. I think 1961, um, this was a, a film that really, it was it was not ahead of its time, but it definitely fit into its time of, of the cinematography. I thought that the acting, uh, or not the acting, the just the appearance, the look, we talked about Edith Head off, off camera, or whatever this is. Um, she did a fantastic job. I think that the writing was lacking. I think that the a- the acting was lacking, and I do think that the comedic timing was lacking. So I do say that I feel like it's it is dated. Um, I feel like it was not well written or well directed. But I do think, directing wise, that yeah, I mean we were talking about it. Audrey Hepburn. She was. I don't like using this words because it's, it's highfalutin, but she was stunning. She was beautiful. We, she was captivating. She was everything that you need and want from a, a leading lady. Absolutely. And I will say this. I think it fell into the same trap that Clueless did last week, which was it embraced the lingo of the time, yeah. and it dated the crap out of it almost immediately. Yeah, exactly. It had yes. so many like little little Good. vernacular tricks from the 60s. It was like, come on. That that <laughs> kind of that Brit. And I know that um, Audrey Hepburn is not American. She was uh, England. She's British, right? Dutch, Dutch, Wales. No, she's from. Anyway, anyway. So she's got. She's not from. (laughs) Clearly, we are geography. I feel like all all the female characters. There's three that I can think of. Right, you had two E. You had her, and then you had uh, one of the other characters from the the party scene. They had that like 
phony, annoying British That Rachel accent. voice. For, I don't know if anyone's seen Friends, but when R- Rachel was rich in the Friends flashbacks, <laughs> yeah. it had that kind of feel to it. That very a New York style, like mm. I'm English. But I really yeah, love that British, you brought Friends it's like into a, this. Dude, that's so it's great. like a <laughs> British knockoff. And it, it to me, it, it like literally grated my ears. And that's what I was talking about. If I watch it on mute, I think I would enjoy it a whole lot more than I actually because did. Because I think it's like even one of the characters was like, yo, you know, she's phony. Everyone is phony and everything like that. And I think that, uh, you know, I think Truman Capote, who wrote the book and the novel, was trying to, like, focus on something like that, you know, regarding to the whole lifestyle, um, regarding to when the book was actually released. But you if, know? if I, banking on what you just said, if you look at the character, and I can't remember his name, but it was his, his uh, her, I guess her publicist kind of guy. The guy that was in Psycho, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The guy that was in Psycho. Um he said she's the best phony. She, you know, best the best phony. He, he, she was fake. Everything about her is fake. It's all about appearances. But she's the best it's ever been. And it's like I, I felt like it was kind of a referendum on that type of vapid '60s persona that people put out there. But at home they were, you know, sleeping until noon and feeding their cat mm-hmm. milk and drinking milk out of a champagne glass, kind yeah. of thing. Now, do you feel like seriously like Hollywood grabbed this book but kind of made it in a way where it just wasn't so kind of dirty and actually so like well, I want, yeah i wanted to talk about the book okay so has anybody read in cold blood which is truman capote's well, unquote, masterpiece? I, I was shocked when i actually like whoa truman yeah. capote wrote so this book? i read in, in cold blood uh a couple years ago and to me that still stands out as one of the best books i've ever read i mean ever read it's it's non-fiction it's beautiful it's it's amazingly hard to read in a good way it's everything that this story is not right it's realistic it's gritty it is beautifully written it is not this story and so i do wonder one of the things i actually want to do is to try to read the book before we did this didn't get to it so um but i guess in a lot of ways this is more his actual pace and in cold blood is kind of more the opposite so i I don't necessarily agree with you that this isn't gritty and realistic you know i look at a novel like great gatsby where it was all about the facade that he put up Mm -hmm. where behind the scenes he wasn't what he was betraying. I think Holly Golightly, if you look behind the mask, uh, bride of a farmer with kids and a brother in the military, I think she was trying so desperately to get away from that that she was putting up all of this facade in the New York so to be a New York socialite. And every day she was literally living dollar to dollar to try to keep up with this facade. So, or, or, or Eddie, what was she? Well, she was a hustler. I would overall. say, I would say, what? would we say it? Well, yeah, sure. come on, dude. I mean, she seriously, I wrote this in my notes. The most G-rated movie about escorts and call girls and things like that. I don't think and she was that. You know, so, she uh, is, though. She, she makes it very clear. Getting, like, hey, she make her so, money. Well, getting that, back to your point, though, I think yeah. Capote certainly had that in her book, his book, that she was a prostitute. Mm-hmm. Knowing Blake Edwards and knowing, by the way, do you know who Blake Edwards was married to? Who Julie Andrews. Married to? Julie Andrews. Yeah. I think that he whitewashed the script to a point where... It was unknown. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was certain that she was a prostitute. I think it's definitely implied that she's an escort, mm-hmm. but she's never actually she always comes home. But yes. she always comes home running away from the guys. That's as very true. I, I almost I was thinking the same thing, but you can see how every guy is looking for her, right? Like, like they're, they're waiting for her because they paid her. And they they never got the yeah. final. Right. They never got they the. the they final, never got the nook. They never got the nook. Yeah. So that's what overall. <laughs> oh, for the nookie. And like, even that one time, <laughs> she, she woke up, and there was a drunk guy at the door, right. nonstop, right? And she just has to run up and upstairs and like 
overall, that's where she laid in bed with uh, her. Uh, where George Papard or yes. uh, 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 Paul. Paul. Yeah. But she's over there just like she. She's looking at like, hey, this guy's kind of like me, like in a well, weird no, way. Well, no, Paul. Paul, I think was worse. He actually was a kept man. He was. He was a prostitute. Yeah, uh, a writer as well, right, Brandon? <laughs> yes, comes out of the. By the nice way, segue, I think <laughs> you can Amazon Darkening or a Murder Country or The Valley, and I would appreciate it very much. It's about time you start you know, doing yeah, that. I have not done it. this yet. But, a lot of people uh, don't you know look about Brandon, but yeah. check it out. You know, he's actually an author, and he's oh, actually got three books out there. Check it out, my friends. I do appreciate it, everybody. Ah, enough pandering. So uh, <laughs> that's no, where. Seriously. But I did get a seriously, little. Seriously, hold on, Ed. They are on Amazon. They are. They are you Amazon. should Thank buy you. them. Um, <laughs> that being said, going back to Eddie, I, I I think that yeah, it's it's a really interesting dynamic. I mean, 1961, we were, we were like just before the countercultural revolution. The cusp, the cusp of sexual revolution. Yes, I didn't it was. Like how uh, Holly just let her neighbor in so easy. Right? So didn't that weird. bother you? And like, oh, come in my bedroom. Find my shoe. Realistically, you're in New York. Mm-hmm. You don't let someone in your house. Even the even the, the neighbor, I, I keep forgetting his name, but he was even saying like, oh, in New York, they say you have to know your neighbors. Or you yeah, don't, exactly. Right? But I, I do think that it, it fed into her persona of being this wild socialite where she, she, would, she would do things that were off-putting. She would do things that were different. She wasn't a normal New Yorker. She wasn't a normal child of the 60s. She was different. Okay, then let me, let me ask you this because this is kind of one of the main points of this movie. Is Paul? Is Paul what? Is Paul the socialite? Is no, no. Is Paul the socialite? Is Paul no. living the 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 lifestyle then that she is trying so hard to to achieve? No, I think they actually. She just need, like I said, like you know, I think you let the right ones in, and I think there was something about Paul that was different than a lot of other people. Paul's a sugar daddy. First so, of all. so no, what you, Paul's so not a sugar what you're, daddy. What Paul has a sugar mama. So what you're saying what then yes, is, yes. <laughs> but what you're saying then is that they they're equally matched. No. I think they are equally a match. What they do is hustle, and they try to do what they need to do to get by every single day. And I think for the first time, it's like almost like you're looking at yourself in the mirror, mm-hmm. and they have a kind of respect for one another. Mm-hmm. See, so I, I think mm-hmm. – I'm sorry. No, no, go, go. I think Paul has convinced himself that what he's doing is for the art, for the writing, that he's justified in letting that woman – basically sleep with him for money being his sponsor. It's not the same thing. I still think he has a, a, a negative connotation of what Holly does. She, he looks down at what Holly does slightly. Ever well, so he, slightly. Ma- he makes no, I, I wouldn't room. say it slightly. He makes pretty $50 at the power room. Yeah, right? he, he makes some really negative comments towards her. Not necessarily unjustly. I right. think that it's, it's pretty obvious that he looks down on her. And, and I think from her perspective, she doesn't want to be judged because she's doing the best she can with the tools she has. And she's kind of a half-asser. She's, she, she's, a, she's a lazy con artist huckster. That's what she is. Yeah, if she is a, a prostitute, she's a lazy prostitute because she doesn't actually close the <laughs> deal. She doesn't give up the nut. I say she's a prostitute, yeah. yo. I think she has that more of a Gesha type of thing about her. Yeah. Like yeah, an, an escort. Says an that. escort. Like, and to the point where that's the thing is like she chooses – who is she's actually going to take you know, her <laughs> yeah. in the end of the night? You know, that's why everyone's like going after her and whatnot. Yeah, and she's looking for a rich guy. Does she also is she also smuggling drugs or she's doing something with that? What well, was she's un- unknowingly. She's going to the weather report. Go to the prison. Go to the powder room. Are we going to get uh, to the weather report later? No, let's let's talk about whether it's no, shad, no, shad? No. She's an idiot. Tomato. So there's a guy in yeah, prison. Tomato. Tomato. But what was the name of the place that she would go to? Is it Sing Shatch? Sing. Sing Sing. Sing Sing yeah. Prison, yeah. Sing Sing Prison. <laughs> so she would go into Sing Sing Prison, and she would talk, spend an hour a week with this guy on Wednesdays or Thursdays. Give him the weather report. 
And then he would give her the weather report and she would relay the weather report to the attorney. Which, how stupid do you have to be to understand? Like, I, I don't know. But I saw that part a of mile her away. She's willfully blind. She, she is. does she is. not actually think that she's giving the weather. She knows she's doing something wrong, but she's getting paid and she's just pretending like she's like she's like it doesn't matter. So isn't that aiding and abetting? 100%. It's called willful blindness. Right. But she's all. Okay, okay, I get you. Willful. Okay, because I'm saying no, she's it's, going it's, along it's with like, it. It's like sure. watching someone rob a store and then like being like, oh, they were just, you know, cleaning. Yeah. <laughs> she got the job done to make sure she was always focusing on the number one person in her life. It her. was her. Her. And yeah. Not even her cat. She didn't even give her cat a name. It's like, hey, cat. Oh. <laughs> well, I mean, in a way, because she felt like, you know, her and the cat have the same lives and whatnot, you know? And see, to me, the cat whole thing and a lot of the underlying with tomato, it seemed like were vestiges of the book that were probably a lot more intricate and complex and detailed. And when you when Blake Edwards stripped it away, it didn't have the same impact. Maybe I feel like I feel like the the tomato part was really just a way for uh, the Brazilian guy to ditch drop her. her. Yeah. I feel like, I don't know, to me it was a means to an end. Someone wrote this and I thought it was really interesting. It said, this film is the sparkling champagne to the novel's Dirty Martini. That makes sense. I, you know, like, well, I think there's a I'm lot of things read in this the one, book. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I can do a follow-up next next one we do. I'll so I know I'm one. unique. I'm, I'm, I, I fell into this story so quickly because of the setting, because of the clothes, because of the... The long cigarette. I just it it feels so elegant. The whole timing well, feels so elegant. It started I hear off you. that way. Yeah, it I was, started I was, off that way. I felt the same way. I was looking at that. I was like, I love the way it started. Like I was with Jeremiah. Like Paul's apartment. Like it just Ooh, started. Like, no, no, and, and, and I'm gonna try to be respectful in this because I know Sean that you do like this, um, and it's it's. I want to be clear right now. I. I won't say hated, but I would say as close to disliked <laughs> as possible. Paul's apartment. No, the whole movie. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, go to the whole movie. Go to the Paul's apartment, and then I, or whatever you want to say, and then I want to kind of jump in, and uh, and maybe talk about that first meeting yeah, between Holly and Paul. We could do that now, Eddie. What do you think? <laughs> well, a uh, couple things. Uh, like, you, you get it from the very beginning of what she's doing. Okay, it's like, oh, okay. Well, she's just a party animal a little bit, and she's she finds odd jobs here and there. Um, she doesn't name her cat, so she she always wants to stay. She doesn't want to be tied down to anything, and it's, that's something to say with people actually maybe who live in New York. They live this type of a rush lifestyle, you know. Like they, you know, I'm not gonna even. I'm just my apartment. It, she didn't even unpack her apartment. It showed a lot. It she was accurate with her character. I think because you know she felt isolated from herself and others, and and that was just in order for her. I not enjoyed. To I enjoyed Holly. As a character, I, I didn't. I wasn't budded by anything with her. I was just a little bit lost. I felt like in the middle, it started to drag a little bit. But Brandon, you can go ahead. No, okay. So, yeah, my biggest problem is the writing, and I'm not saying the writing on Capote's part. I've read Capote's writing. I think that it's awesome. Uh, I think that it maybe more have been uh, George Axelrod. Take that, George, um, who was the one who adapted this. And I'm really actually interested now to read the original text. So uh, I'm going to try to do that. Maybe give you a follow up. Um, no, to me, where this film failed is the writing. I felt that the direction even wasn't that bad. I think that the direction in, in one of the most famous scenes that I've seen, at least uh, in some of the things I looked up, which is the party at Holly's 
uh, apartment. I thought that one failed a lot. I thought Ooh, that the jokes. Okay. Yeah, I thought the jokes fell yeah, flat. I thought, yeah, that, I thought that, that was kind of one. There was I mean, two a lot scenes of that I thought were shining stars. Yeah, the yeah, party I'm, scene I'm, and the the robbery scene. When I, they, I'm with you on that. Robbed, with, the, yeah. I'm with a shot of this. I thought it the party felt scene was so great. crowded in that apartment. It, it felt like it did, if, but I felt okay. So if what I what I put in my notes here. Nothing, um, <laughs> I'm gonna be mean, but I said absolutely nothing funny or enjoyable with Holly's uh, party. To me, it was like Blake Edwards was trying so hard to make us laugh that it, it was like. It just it fell flat. See, I took a different to- tone to that. I yeah. thought it wasn't supposed to be funny. I thought it was supposed to be sad. I thought it was well, supposed maybe to be a bunch of people is. getting drunk off their ass, literally talking about nothing. Nothing at all. At yeah. all. Just well, to be just to oh, be what they were. Okay, let me give you this this scene as an or this shot as an example or this portion. Is when he's going to, to answer the phone, which I don't know why he would answer the phone, but hey, he answers the phone and then gets his head sat on and he's like, Hey, I'm just gonna let it go. And then, you know, to me, it was like we're, we're trying to be pushed into laughing and, and or even snickering or even smiling. And to me, I, I had such a blank you. face with that one. Um, but no, where, where, the, where the writing, I think, really failed was the development of the character and the realism. And I am all about realism in writing. And I realize that some movies like this one aren't necessarily based on realism. But the realism in the first meeting between uh, Holly and oh, Paul, Paul. right? Uh, I thought it. Number one, I agree. It was completely unrealistic that she would just invite this guy. And I get that it's characterization on her part, but she just invites him in. Oh, the the phone is in the the, the brief or the suitcase over there. She's walking oh, around I'm going to go like around a, to sing, in the, sing. In the, in the shirt too. That's like yeah. Like, I was like, okay. Yeah. Okay, and she's getting dressed okay, uh, and she's talking, <laughs> and the 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 presentation of the dialogue was just to me flat. I just thought uh, there's no. There's no connection here except that it's a forced connection. Um, the only thing cool I found about it, because it was the first time I saw Paul or we saw Paul, is that he looks exactly like Carrie Elwes. Um, did anybody else see that? He's, he's no, Carrie, Carrie Elwes is better looking. I thought Paul was pretty good looking. <laughs> There's some parts that I'm like, literally, if they remade this, Carrie, you're a you're random in. question here. If you were going to do this remake of a movie, who would you actually cast? For Natalie Portman. Actually, uh, thank you. Fuck yeah. That's exactly who I had. Natalie Portman and Carrie Elwes. I would do actually uh, Chris Hemsworth. No. Oh, I could see Chris. Liam. No. Liam Hemsworth. Liam. No. Liam. I could actually. No, no I could see Chris's too big. Who would you go with? Who would you go with? George Clooney. Fuck no. What? He's way what? too old. How old? No, I'm, I'm being serious. I'm not going to look it up on IMDb. But how old was George Peppard or Peppard or whatever? How old was Paul when when you think? I think he was probably in his 30s. 30s, right? The guy from... I know Audrey, Audrey uh, Hepburn, Hepburn was 31, right? The guy from Son of Andre, the main character. Oh, God. Charlie Hunnam? That guy's four foot tall. And he's got a weird beard. So, actually, I was thinking the <laughs> only thing that I was... I, I, there I, are no men left when, in Hollywood. When, when uh, <laughs> Holly meets Paul look, for the first time, the only reason I feel like she takes a look at him is because of, she calls him Fred. Oh God! Don't even get me started on the Fred thing. No, but uh, she has a whole. She, I, I do see how. Like, okay, she misses her brother, and she does, she's away from home. Fred, so many she's times. She's away from like, home, ugh. and she's just like, I need. She. That's why I feel like she didn't see him as an attraction, but more as a, like I a feel comfort. comfortable. So one him. of the things, yes, one of the good. things that you're missing as an audience member is the time period in which this movie was was made. If you go back to '60s. Almost to 70, you had this uh, Neil Simon fast talking back and forth where people filled the silence very. Don't you dare disgrace Neil Simon and his genius. Um, mm. I, I think that that 
what you're seeing is a style, it, yeah, not a failure. No, I, I am actually don't like it now. I'm gonna actually agree with you 100. percent Okay, and I disagree. I, and I'm, I'm sorry. I dislike. I don't the like style. it either. Yeah. I don't like it either. If you, um, if you go back to movies that I really think are, are wonderful during the sixties, like psycho, there's a lot of silence. There's no silence in this movie. Correct. It's just, I'm my baba, baba, baba. And she did get very annoying over time. It's like, I don't care yeah. about your brother. I don't care about, you know, I don't care about anything. But, but here's the thing. It, does that type of dialogue and does that structure of, of storytelling, does it hurt the film and does it hurt the characters overall? I think it does. So I think it does. And it doesn't. I think it does from a from a longevity standpoint of the movie looking back on it. But I think that what this movie did successfully is it developed characters in a way that you hadn't released you hadn't had that deeply on screen before. This is two very distraught people, essentially hookers, mm-hmm. kind of finding love. Okay, well I'm gonna stop here. I'm gonna ask a question to all everybody. So last week we talked about uh, Cher and we talked about Paul Rudd's character, Josh, uh, in Clueless. And I said, and I, I still will hold to it, that to me, that relationship's not going anywhere. Right? I think that it's, it's a momentary thing. It's going to blow off. Do you honestly think that Paul and Holly will last beyond this hallway kiss? Oh, this, absolutely this? not. What I, th- okay. what I think is, is, that, is that it's the connection that they have together at that moment, at that time. That helps them out and it helps them to where they're at. Okay, because I, I feel like major things have to change in their lives for that. Like it, it dep- I mean, like it would have been. She's all over the place. I felt like he was more in than she was. It looked like from the movie. Um, like he kept saying, "I love you, I love you." She's never really said it back. Like she and she was real almost in a little way. Like, hey, I don't love you. I'm, I'm going to piggyback on what Eddie just said because I think he's absolutely 100 percent right. She's got to change, and so does he. And I think the biggest evidence that she is changing or she's willing to change is that she came back for the cat. I honestly, but I honestly she let the that. cat go. Okay, so here's my problem. I know we're jumping way to the end. The ending to me made me angry. Okay. You don't like old movies because they end like shit. Well, okay, so maybe that's it. But <laughs> you okay. need to get over that. Well, I, I understand. <laughs> I really need a drink. I understand. So let me just say this, and then we can we can pause maybe. Well, you got to remember this, dude. She gets scared and she lashes out and everything like that. Once she, she actually starts falling for and having ah, feelings, well, she does. She just lashes out. She says that horrible thing like, you know, yeah. it takes you four seconds to, to walk out of my room. I'm <laughs> going to give, give you, two. you two. I mean, right. she's like, seriously, like, you know, once she starts feeling like, you know, some type of love, a connection, she immediately just wants to just like close it down. I, I, I definitely see what you guys are saying. Both of you guys are saying about it's kind of like a, a defense mechanism for sure. But here's here's how I would characterize or, or summarize the end of the movie. She doesn't want to be quote unquote caged, so she gets rid of the cat in the rain. He calls her out on it. She finds the cat and they kiss. End of the movie. Right? There's no character arc. She's a terrible person through the entire movie. Not even at the end is she a good person. A kiss in the rain in the alleyway doesn't make you a good changed person. Mm-hmm. I still think that she's a selfish, just self-centered person who is who has got so many issues is she lula may is she uh is she holly golightly who the hell is she but last year you really or last year last Mm -hmm. week you propped up a movie about Cher, who essentially was the same horrible person no because yeah well okay yeah she was literally she i mean she hit things on the road in her car didn't care she no 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 but she had it she had a heart to change 
She and had you, a heart to change. And you don't think that... I do not think that Holly Golightly has a heart to change? No, I think that she has... Uh, she says, hey, this is an amusement. I'm going to go steal these masks as an amusement. See, I'm going to go to... Paul, don't you dare go after her. She is literally beneath you. I don't care if you are a slut hoe, too, or a man whore, or whatever you want to call yourself. Don't go after... Don't, don't let her back in. And he does. And I know that you don't like the ending of this movie, but I think that you have to understand that there's a reason. She's finally going back to something that she cares about something. And you see that, you know. Yeah, but did, w- would she go after it if Paul didn't call her out? Sometimes you need someone ah. to just actually help you out to reach where you're at. I, I, I think Just I like see, Paul Rudd did to share. You know. Cause God has, damn you guys. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> you got to remember this. Like, she's still searching for who she is. She keeps saying, I'm not Holly. I'm not Lou Lang, okay. you know. Lou so Lou she's Lou still trying to search that identity of who she is. So, Jeremiah, let me ask you this then. Do you think, and going back to last week, do you feel that Cher is making any progress towards finding Cher? out who she is? I think Cher does make progress mm-hmm. of like who she does is. Holly, does I Holly. I think yes. Holly, in the end, realizes... Let me put some, some, <clears throat> some little guideposts, okay? Holly want, had never been able to afford something at Tiffany's. Correct. Papard, Paul, <laughs> says, let's, let's, let's use this ring that I found in the Cracker Jack box and let's get it etched at Tiffany's. Don't even get me started. Okay, that is a huge symbol of her compromising. Where before I don't yeah. think she would. I don't think she would compromise. Okay, Sean, you, you went on that. Fuck, one. <laughs> I, I need another. You drink. don't get this, this is... much, Sean. Sean changed my mind on something. Everybody, <laughs> that was good. Both Jeremy and Sean. Good job. Good job. Let's go get some pizza. I was a little let down. I was. I liked it, but I was a little let down with the movie. I felt like that's all. Ooh. Why? Because it was like I will. I will see you liked it and a little let down and raise you. I didn't like it and really let down. <laughs> so let's talk about probably the most controversial character in the film, which is Mickey Rooney's portrayal of an Asian uh, landlord. Mr. Yoon Niyoshi. He was a photographer, right? The bucktooth photographer. So why? Wh- there's been a lot of controversy around this, this role, and I, I want to know why it's racist. So here's the thing. I, Whoa. I, I went into this knowing about Mickey Rooney's portrayal of the Asian dude. Um, and I, I knew that in the back of my mind, and I said, okay, I can't wait to see this. And when he shows up on screen, both major times, sorry, three major times he shows up on screen, but when the first time he shows up, I said, my God, that is worse, that is more racist, that is more horrible than anything I could have ever imagined. I've seen bits and pieces and clips of it, but to see it in context, in a, in a role that literally makes no sense that he's in there as... At this this Asian yeah. character. I feel like at this time, at, at this time, I feel like a lot of people when this movie came out, it was right after, a little after uh, Pearl Harbor, right? So a lot after Pearl Harbor. Yeah, well, no. nineteen sixty one and, and about nineteen forty seven. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, it wasn't more than give or take. Look at it. Like, I mean, less than twenty years. That's less than nine eleven happened longer ago than that. Yeah, okay. that's less than twenty years. So it had this idea of. A lot of, and the, you know, the war challenge just ended 10 years later, and people still was just getting over it. So they're bringing back a, uh, a, a certain type of race, you know, into, into movies. And uh, like they just, they just made this around like, this is what they are. They like rice. They have. So was the racist uh, element the fact that he was stereotypical? Yes. He was stereotypical, but oh, no, no, no. But also, also at the same like time, I, I, and then taking this away, if this has been a white guy, Mickey Rooney portraying a white guy. His jokes were pathetically 
bad. Like uh, he runs into everything. He walks into everything. He, the way he talks. He's blind. But then you then you add in the race. Yeah, you br- add in the buck teeth. You add in the squinty eyes. Just you his add outfit. In, like his yeah. outfit. He looked like he was a. He looked like he worked at a, a, a sushi joint. Yeah, he oh, did. God, I hate saying See, sushi. and I, I guess I guess I, I looked at it a little <laughs> differently because. To me, it wasn't being discriminatory. He owned the building or was the landlord of the building. He controlled the residents. Yes, was it stereotypical of an Asian community probably in this time? Yeah, and was that wrong? Yeah. But was it also edgy and different and okay. and, and kind of... Uh, we said You said during the Hangover podcast that sometimes it's funny because it's pushing the, the edge. But here's the thing. If, if that, it wasn't Mickey Rooney portraying it... Why does it, it was, matter who's portraying He's an actor. If that movie came out now... Well, I'm sorry, but you, you if you had a, a, a white guy doing blackface right now, you'd say, that's okay? When we could get any black I, actor... I, 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 think, thunder, I, I, well, hold on, hold on. I think that any actor can play any role because that's what they're doing. They're acting. And I don't think that... I, I don't think it was racist for the Waynes brothers to be in the movie White Chicks. No. That's, I that's thought it was narrative. pushing the... Uh, no, but that's a narr- that's the narrative purpose is that they're black guys portraying so white what girls. What I'm saying is if they're p- being blackface to be racist and to be disparaging of black people, that's different but than if Mr. wearing Smith, blackface. But no, if Mr. Smith decided that he was going to dress up as an Asian guy and play Mr. Yunioshi, then I would say, okay, it's part of the, the storyline. That makes sense. Just like white white girls or just like uh, white chicks or, or, or just like Tropic Thunder. Yeah, yeah Tro- Tropic Thunder. Now, let me ask both of you guys, Jeremiah, Sean, because I, th- I feel like Eddie, you and I are on the same page on this one. Do you feel that that character and that stereotypical humor served its purpose in this film? Or was it out of place? Wait, first of all, from us, like I've been kind of silent about the whole situation. I think it is one of the most racist things in some of the history. Oh, okay, sorry, but I didn't it's you. You couldn't do that today. You couldn't do this today, you know. But even Edwards, the director, is just like he even says it to this day, or he has been quoted. That's one thing I wish I can recast. He went way over down. the top. He went way. Yeah, See, it wasn't even think, subtle. I think because he went over the top, and and it's obviously so stereotypical. And it's Mickey Rooney. He was an American treasure at that right, point. Right. No. No. I agree. I, I'm just saying that. What was it? I don't think it was this intentionally racist. I hate Asian American stereotype. I think that. I mean, I, I'm not saying it's it's right. I'm just saying that people are making way too big of a deal about a character who was okay. Yeah, his jokes didn't land. Yeah, he was stereotypical. But I don't think the malicious. I don't think the the reason that he was in the movie was to be this malicious. Racist. No. 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 I know. And, and I let me clarify myself at least. I don't think it was done intentionally to be malicious. I don't think Blake Edwards or Mickey Rooney or anybody involved is racist. Don't don't yeah, please don't misquote me on that. However, the product of what they accidentally created in their process was pathetically bad. They missed inappropriate. something inappropriate yeah, and I'm I'm and I'm I'm not holding this against it. It doesn't change my opinion of this movie. Uh, two things and then I'll I'll shut up. One they have apologized, and they said, you know what? If we could have redone it, we would have done it differently. That's great. That's fantastic. To me, that's all that's needed. It's just, hey, you know what? We screwed up. We thought it would work. It didn't work. Our bad. The other thing is that if we look at the the, the story as a whole, and, and Sean, you mentioned earlier that it's not Blake Edwards at his best, at his funniest. For sure. This, to me, is is more drama than comedy. And I think that, and I'm going to say this a little bit later when I do the rating, I think that's where one of the, the disconnects is it doesn't know what it is supposed to be. And you're right, it didn't land. But it, it had, to me, it had absolutely no purpose being in this film at all, at all. So I, I think it, it, it was a victim of the whitewashing that Blake Edwards did to the script to try and lighten it up and make it airy, and it just didn't land. And you know what, I, I, I would agree, yep. 100%. Yeah. 
I looked at this movie as similar to I think it was Sixteen Candles, the, the yes. foreign exchange student. Wong Dong. Yeah. yeah, like <laughs> come on. another. Yeah. yeah, and then that one was that was an Asian character, or Asian actor playing an Asian character, yeah. but in a. At the time, they thought that was funny. You also look at at, at the time. time, The Orient was unknown. Like that was an unknown part of the country. It was very uh, yeah. The Orient. We weren't. It wasn't Asia anymore. Right. I don't say that disparaging. No, no, no. I, I, I I totally get you. Um. So yeah, and I'm glad we talked about that. So. All right. So um. Let's get. uh, Let's move a little forward to where we we meet Doc. Uh. Go lightly, and we find out about. Uh, Holly's past. He's the dad. Is he the dad? He was the, He's the husband. husband. Threw me for a loop. I'll yeah, be hundred percent honest. Left field, she yeah, inherited seriously. three kids. Or, yeah, right. yeah. They're her kids, even though they're not her kids. Yeah, I, I know. Lulu May. Yeah, Lulu May. She yeah. really talked about that though. After like, so if you, you know, like if you became the mother of three kids, you would kind of talk about that a little bit, a hint throughout the movie that you missed them a little bit, but she completely left that out. I think Brand hit the nail on the head. I think the movie didn't know what it was supposed to be. Was it supposed to be a comedy? Was it supposed to be light and Drama. airy and romantic? Or was it supposed to be this harsh story about a streetwalker trying to find love? <laughs> I think if, if you read Capote's original text, and I haven't read it, and I, I'm really looking forward to doing that, mm-hmm. but I, I bet it was a lot harsher of a world than Breakfast at Tiffany's. I feel yeah. like it's like pre- Pretty Woman redid this movie, but in the they hit it. Yeah. And they yeah. made her more of a prostitute and made yeah. the change bigger. Yeah. Right. Um, no, and, and I mean, I'm, I'm going to go along with it. Say the accent that they gave Doc Golightly was, you know, this, this southern Texan drawl. Twang you ever seen, thing. ever seen Grapes of Wrath? I mean, I the have. Same crap. <laughs> I have, and no, I'm not a fan. But though the, the literature teacher in me would say that, God damn, Grapes of Wrath is such a beautiful book we'll read it everybody <laughs> after you read mine on amazon but anyway uh no i thought that that character came out of nowhere i thought that, that was a kind of a wasted 15 minutes it gave us one thing which was the cracker jack box ring right um it it gave us this in- whatever that See, she's a little bit of a stranger that she doesn't know that, like, that she's got a secret but at the same time, ah, it was a waste. Was it wasted, or did you finally realize why she did the things she did? Well, I guess I, I did learn more about her and learn that she's more, excuse me, fucked up than, than we in, originally intended. And if you look at it from, from just a practical perspective, I mean, look at if you look at like a movie like Home Alone 2, right? <laughs> it was exactly what a kid would have done if they would have been alone in New York. They'd have ordered a big-ass cheese pizza, gone to the best hotel, and watched a movie on TV. You know, it's like... This is the same kind of shit. She Kevin McAllister is way the fuck smarter than I was. <laughs> Everybody. Right. Jesus Christ. Yeah, we should do those I movies. Agree. I've been trying to do Home Alone. Man. I Seriously. will do Home Alone 1, 2, <laughs> 3, and 4. All I'm saying is I think that as a woman, girl, she's stuck. She's stuck. I think in, mentally in a, she is In stuck. a way of thinking. Yeah. yeah. Um, not transitioning any more than uh, we need to transition, but... Uh, one of the few parts of this movie that I absolutely love to know, Eddie, you you agree with me on this, is Moon River. I thought, uh, number one, I hadn't, like Eddie, uh, known that this song was from this movie, that this song was written for Audrey Hepburn, that this song was such a prominent part of this movie until I just got the first little whiff of it at the beginning of the movie. Beautiful song. Always have loved it. Works beautifully and perfectly here from when she's singing it in the, the windowsill to just the theme of it going throughout the whole movie. Beautiful. I loved it. It was the only good part. When I say good, I mean like astoundingly good part of this film. Anybody, well, you, you read it. You sang it earlier. 
Yeah, like I definitely, I feel like just the beginning of the movie, and I feel like they really actually almost outplayed the. the they did do it. The out, they they outplayed the, the the song in the movie, but maybe that was kind of like their thing back at that time. Um, I really enjoyed uh, this song actually, and I always I, w- I wondered where this became a hit. And I'm, is it here? Is it with uh, yeah. Breakfast Tiffany's? So if you look at movies before this too, a lot of the popular thing to do was an intermission. I don't know. Yeah. <clears throat> and and this was kind of the way to do an intermission without doing an intermission. Yeah. So one of the things that uh, I think is brilliant about this movie is the music, not just Moon River, but the the score in general. I think Henry Mancini, who is responsible for some of the greatest musical compositions uh, of this generation of, of films, captured the sorrow of of her story so beautifully. It was just it was just fantastic. It, it's hard to hold. You know, it's 1961. It's it's hard to hold some of the stuff to 2020. Like you can't like hold the standards of now how it was then. I feel like at that time, it definitely became a classic instantly with just her style, her everything. Even to this day, Tiffany and Co. became like I still I'm pretty sure because of this movie, Tiffany and Co. became extra mm-hmm. more elegant to have because of how like. No one has that. Like that's the place. That's the jewelry to it's have. It's a way of a lifestyle that actually brought to or brought to the public to everyone, or just for them to be aware about this type of like you know life that they don't even know about. And I think the movie actually did something to a lot of the things for it. So we kind of have two more things I want to cover. The first is uh, the kind of what what Brandon was talking about earlier is that you have a really hard finish to the movie. It doesn't really give you time to fall in love with the characters because they don't have a lot of time to fall in love. He leaves his, uh, his, his woman, his, what do you call it? His matron, um, his sugar mama, his sugar mama. And then they kind of get together and do this montage of things that they, a day of things that they've never done before. Drink champagne before breakfast, go to Tiffany's, what? That was nice. And I was going to say, actually, don't they do a little like a uh, heist, a little tiny heist yeah, that was kind of cute? They steal masks from the five and ten. I, I actually think that's one of the best parts of the movie, actually. I think that when you find someone and you want to just get lost in the city and just explore and then you actually do see it. You do see that they're actually letting it go, that they're not trying to nickel or dime each other or trying to find a way to actually get something out of each other. They're falling in love with each other. Right. It's weird. That, that, that scene reminded me of, of one of my favorite movies is Goodwill Hunting. I love that movie. And for whatever reason, when they're in that nickel and dime shop, it just reminded me of, of the two characters, the mini driver character and then the Matt Damon character. They're in kind of the same situation. They're kind of falling in love in the same moment. And to me, the whole time, I'm, I'm sitting there going, Goodwill Hunting had to have taken from this. Just they're having fun in this moment. And I do feel that that is the one scene where there's a genuine relationship, well, I think that started, isn't that isn't forced. I think it started at Tiffany's too, where they're being very yes. formal about their budget, and <laughs> right. But at the same time, to, but here's here's what it is: they're they're putting on a show, right? Yeah. They're putting on a show in the five and nine when they they put on the Huckleberry Hound mask and everything, and they kind of look at each other and laugh. And to me, that was just two, you know, kids, thirty year old kids. Just having fun. And to me, sure. I love that. And they walk out and, you know, we can call it theft or we can call it stealing or we can just call it whatever. Well, no, it was definitely theft. Well, it was definitely theft. <laughs> uh, we can call it whatever, asterisk. Um, but at the same time, it was just relaxed, a, a relaxed you feeling. You can see something that's different for the first time in their lives. Yeah. You know, they go back to Paul's place. And yes, 
they finally sleep with each other. You know, and it wasn't for money. It wasn't for you know anything to gain for success or something. It was just because that love is actually happening with each other. So, <clears throat> so bringing us kind of to the last little bit, which is um, Holly gets a note that Frank has died. She is at this point with the Brazilian trying Frank to. Frank or Fred? I'm sorry, Fred. Fred sorry, she's trying to move to Brazil. Uh, her brother Fred dies. Uh, she gets a note and a telegram from Doc. And I thought this was once again an example of the movie not knowing what it was. It yes. went it went from light and airy and fun and romantic to I'm going to destroy everything in my apartment because my brother died. Now, which yeah, I want, I want to just mention one. Okay, so I am a huge Ridley Scott fan. I think Ridley Scott is is a beautiful director. I think that his stuff, Gladiator, where you have this these these beautiful shots of just like. Everything's flood. The joke is that something's always moving and flying, and fu- you know feathers or dust or whatever are just flying. And it really has got. And there's a scene where Holly is laying on the bed, mm-hmm. and it's this aerial shot, and she's got like the feathers or it's it's like stuffing or something and that the is Brazilians just floating, come, yeah. just floating around her. And I literally said, "Holy shit, this is a shot." There's another shot. You remember that shot? That, yeah, I love that shot. Yeah, and I remember that there was another shot that I was like when they were actually in the city. And there's like this 360 shot of them walking, and you see the buildings in the background following both of them, the characters sitting down. Mm. And I'm like, fuck, what a shot. Yeah. <coughs> I mean, that was unbelievable. Yeah. And I think you underestimate Blake Edwards because he's been a comedic director or mm-hmm. was a comedic director for so long. His shot, his shot tracking, it's imaginative, it's usually yeah. pretty fun mm-hmm. and interesting. And I think I really do think that there was a culture in New York in the 60s, 1955 to 1965, where you had a bunch of directors use New York as their tapestry. And they really did amazing things shooting New York. And I feel like Blake Edwards did that here. He wanted to make New York feel like it was all I, I felt like he wanted to make New York all to their their own. Well, isn't that kind of yeah. their, their both their desires is to be within this place, to be part of the city. And so, yeah, I think creating it as a, as a character on its own worked really well for the whole story. I agree. And, like, Paul was, like, he was showing Holly a different light, right? And then it was almost kind of scared Holly away. And then Holly, sorry, and then Holly, uh, she, you know, like, just after they slept together, and then she pretty much, like, just pushed them away. Oh, said, yeah. You know, right? And then she, and then Fred died, like how you said. But then, so it came back, he, he came back to her, in the taxi cab, I think it was in the taxi cab, and what he no, said. No, so you got. Uh, let me just catch up, and then you can keep keep your thought, okay? So Tomato gets yep. caught passing messages after out of prison. Yes. She goes to prison. Yes. They use the money uh, from the from the friend, the rich guy, to bail her out, and that's what they get in the taxi cab. And even then, she wants to go to Brazil. She wants to get the plane ticket and go to yeah, Brazil. Yeah, so she's like, oh, like oh, he 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 wrote me. At that time, I almost felt like that was fake. Felt that like it was a like that Paul thing. was Paul was trying to like get her to stay, and he was doing whatever it takes to her to stay. Um, but he said something. I think it was in that uh, taxi cab that he said, "No matter where you run, you end up just running into yourself." Yeah, that's, that's kind of his last little. That was his last. I, I thought that moment. was like that's still a lot of Breakfast at Tiffany's. A lot of people love this movie with her style, that style, and a lot of quotes. Still stand to this day. I feel like that one. I feel like hits home. Like she, no matter where, how far away she runs from Lula May, she's always going to be Lula May. Yes. So then you've got the scene where she ditches the cat, which I, we've already talked about. I think it was probably unnecessary and cruel and horrible, and I did not like it at all. 
Because you have three cats? Just two. Dumb. You had three. Uh, well, we had three. Well, I mean, he, let, he it, ditched one. It's upsetting when you get rid of the cat, but it was easy for her to, like, you know, just walk away from everything, you know? Like, it's easy yeah. to just run away from everything, let go of everything, and just move forward because that's what I've been Brazil. doing mm-hmm. all my life is just yeah. going forward and never looking behind. And then you've got kind of the, the abrupt end, which they go looking for the cat. She finds the cat. She finds the guy. They kiss in the rain. And as Brandon says, it's an ill-fated relationship that probably won't last a spring, but still. <laughs> but in that moment, they have lips locking. Yeah. And I think I think for a love story, it's not a bad one. It's it's a little abrupt, but it's not. I don't think it's it's. I don't think that it was cheap or tawdry. I don't think that they 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 didn't convince you that they loved each other. I think they did convince well, you of that. I don't know. I think Paul definitely loved her. I think Paul was infatuated with her. I think she went along with Paul because it was the next best thing. I all buy that. Yeah. And that brings us to the end of our review. Now it's time in the podcast where each of the hosts provides their score on our scale of zero to five. Eddie, can you take us through our scale, please? Yes. Zero, the perfect movie. You don't need shit to enjoy it. Uh, one, feel good first cocktail. Two, a happy buzz. Three, you're going to Uber or lifting home. Four, rough morning walk of shame. Uh, five, blackout, shit face, spring break, drunk. Okay, gentlemen, uh, so let's start with uh, Jeremiah. Thank you. You're welcome, brother. Everyone Thank is pointing you. around, like, no one wants to go first. So I was like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> well, Jeremiah, that's you. I do feel a little sense of, like, everyone's afraid to, no to shit to on no, my old yeah. movies. No, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. After no, what no. I did to Point Break, no one wants to do that. So, <laughs> no, no. I, I, To me, I think there is something classic and just graceful about this film. And I honestly have to say it's just because of Audrey. It's just her. She is the film. She's the reason why I want to see this film. There's this timeless beauty about her. Um, I think the story is going back and forth. It goes back and forth. I understand that. But there's something about her that is just this cinema icon that you watch on the screen. And I think that it just portrays it in the best way that you just kind of don't really expect when you watch it. Um, And that's why it's seriously like 60 years later. I mean, next year, 2021. It's going to be 60 years. Yeah, you're right. And we're still talking about her. Right. Um, the film, I think it's. I think it has a lot of good pluses. There's a lot of things I do not like about it. And what I get out of this movie, it's about two used people that find hope through their connection with each other. And I think that's a really important thing that when you find someone, that's what it is, man. So I, I give it seriously. Easy for me. This is a one and a half drink. Eddie. Oh, thank you, Sean. So I... Uh, like I was talking with Brandon, I think Brandon and I was in the same boat with this movie from the very beginning. Was like oh, so excited to watch this movie. I've heard great things, and like still to this day, it's a classic. It's still in my eyes, I still see this movie as a classic. I was expecting, honestly, I was really expecting to give this movie like a point five or a one for some reason. Um, it didn't land at that mark for me, but it didn't like land bad. It's just like in my head, I was expecting this. Some, I had this movie on the pedestal, um, and it was something that I love the music. I love the the outfits, the you know the costumes. Costumes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but just it almost didn't seem like it was costumes. It seemed like that was like accurate with like still to this day, people dress like this because of this movie. Yeah, the people act like this. Pearls and and cigars, baby. Like that's the way it goes, right? Like, um, I mean, I know my wife Selena lights pearls to this day because of this movie. Um, like it hits like a lot of girls look at this movie and we almost kind of like daydream like you know I can do it on my own like I don't need a, a man to help me out and I, I gave that there's a lot of 
woman empowerment in this movie, and I love it. Um, I also see a lot of areas where like I did didn't care for. Um, and but overall, I'm gonna give this movie a two. Um, so I'm gonna give this movie a happy buzz. Right, that's happy buzz. Brandon, come shit, shit on the. I'm looking. Oh, at, I'm looking. I'm coming, be, I'm sorry, coming. I want to read because I look at my other stores and this movie. I am happy I saw it, but overall, like it's not in my anything higher than a two is like I'm. It's one of the greats, but it's like a two to the three is like it's one. Of the, it's a neutral zone for me. Do you guys ever like put like because you like a performance so much that you kind of rate it just a little bit more because that's it's how odd, I it's odd, that's it, how I did it with this film like, yeah it's Hepburn it's Hepburn it's Hepburn like, in this movie Hepburn it's Blake Edwards it's Mancini music it's uh, it's Edith Head's costumes it's probably I mean go ahead Brandon I'm sorry I don't, I'm not cutting you off no, no, yeah. Brandon your your store hey kids if you remember last season uh, <laughs> I really didn't like North by Northwest <laughs> or Psycho. Or Psycho. Really anything before. Or anything pre-1970. Oh, God, I loved Fight Club. Listen, looking at that and then looking at our lowest score and saying The Big Lebowski, I would love to watch a 24-hour marathon of The Big Lebowski rather than watch this one more time. Um, I I appreciate and I'm going to be honest. You guys talked me down from where I was. Okay, Uh, I see what you guys are saying. I see the influence that is here, but I also see a really muddled movie that really doesn't deserve the credits that it's gotten. It's a it's a movie like we've said several times today. It's it's confused. It doesn't know what it is. Is it a drama? Is it a comedy? Is it uh, a story about uh, you know this orphan trying to find, well not orphan, but this this girl trying to find a home and a purpose, or is it about prostitutes and we should laugh at these things? Uh, is it a movie that should be looked down upon because of its uh, racially charged characters, uh, character, or is it something that we should be able to forgive? Uh, I'm not going to make any judgments on that, but I am going to say that this movie, to me, was not enjoyable to watch. It was a movie that, to me, was a struggle. I actually, in fact, fell asleep in front of a movie, which I don't do, uh, and had to rewatch the end of it. Um, so, yeah, this was this was, this was was a challenge. I would say, easily, this was my least favorite film that we've done in two seasons, or a season in, in two podcasts of this. Um, and that being said, you guys did talk me down from a strong five <laughs> to a uh, less strong four. So four is where I'm at. I uh, wish that I liked it more. I, Eddie, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling you, except you were way nicer than I am. <laughs> I wish that I liked it. This is a movie that I have a list of movies that I want so desperately to see that I should have seen as a cinephile, as somebody who loves movies that I just haven't yet. This has always been on the list. This has actually been at the top of the list or near the top of the list. Um, yet when I saw it, I have been nothing but disappointed. So, Sean, I'm going to turn it over to you. So, <clears throat> I think it's important to look at this movie for a couple in a couple of different instances. The first is that it's iconic. It's created an iconic image of a woman in pearls with a long cigar, a cigarette. Uh, it's Audrey Hepburn. It exemplified a woman of the 60s. It not a housewife of the 50s that was stuck in the kitchen, but a socialite 60s woman who made up her own mind and it was strong and who was virile and who went out and got what she wanted. And I think that is very important because without that, you don't have movies like Pretty Woman. You don't have actresses like Angelina Jolie, Julie Roberts, Brittany Murphy, Alicia Silverstone, Halle Berry. (laughs) That that ended poorly, quickly. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. uh, Kate Blanchett. Jesus, we're going there. Like the great actresses. You don't have. uh, I'm thinking of a particular one. She was. She was in Sophie's Choice. 
Oh, Meryl Street? Meryl Street. Yeah. The you don't, Street, you don't have, but you, no, I am convinced that without the iconicness of someone like Audrey Hepburn in this role, you don't get those female movie stars. It's almost like in 1960, the dichotomy between a strong leading man and a beautiful woman changed to a beautiful leading woman who could act and a man who had to keep up. And that, to me... That is awesome, dude. I respect that. I like that a lot. I, like I, that, I could see that. I like that a lot. Don't Sean. you dare change your vote. <laughs> I, I Be strong. I wanted to give a 2.25. I wanted to give a 2.25, but we don't do that, so I'm st- staying out of two. But, I mean, but I, I think that this was the benchmark film that created the superstar mega earning woman. And I think that I think that's really powerful. She was the first person to receive a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar role for this movie. It huge, was, um, huge. It was it, it was, uh, it, it was like it, it changed cinema. And I think that I, I do see Brandon. I really do. I and this is not my favorite sixties movie by any stretch of imagination, but I do think that it had a quality that you just can't quite put your finger on. It was interesting. It was uh, shot well. I think that the dialogue is a product of the time. Um, I think the music was fantastic. I think the song was fantastic. I think most of it was just fantastic, but for a couple of pretty glaring mistakes, which I think one is Mickey Rooney's character. Yeah. I think another is the pacing of the movie was a little flat and it was a little off-putting, and I don't think it knew if it was a comedy or a serious movie. And I think it would have done much better as just a serious straight-across-the-board drama. Um, I don't think it would have sold as well. I don't think it would have been as iconic, but I do think that... Uh, it, it would have been probably a better overall film. I wanted to give it. I wanted to give it below a, a one when I hadn't seen it. Now seeing it and going through this, I think I think it's a one. I think it's it's a uh, a feel good first cocktail, um, and I think I think that's where it fits. So Ed, when we combine all the scores and divide by four, what does Breakfast at Tiffany's get us? Uh, it gives us a two point one two five, the a first two. of its time. Really? Yeah, two point one two five. Well, it's unique then. Should have given it a five. Um, <laughs> and it, it is actually between if this list is accurate from uh, season one, it is, and from this our current season, it it's right between Fight Club at a two and above Tombstone at a two point two five. So it's below oh. Fight Club, uh, above two above Tombstone. So at least Brandon, your Fight Club's higher. I'm okay with that. Well, let me. See, what, what are some of the movies below it? Uh, Tombstone, Christmas Vacation, Twilight, Hocus Pocus, North by Northwest, Die Hard, The Hangover. Yeah, Ooh, I'm sorry. I would uh, say North by Northwest is a better movie than this one. I would say it is too. I yeah. would. I would well, almost sorry. say. Sorry. Well, uh, we we made the screw well, up. We point break is uh, three point three seven five. <laughs> so we don't yeah, have to. Yeah. And what yeah. is? Yeah. <laughs> listen, can I just can I just say one last? No. Thing? So if you've enjoyed the, <laughs> go ahead. Brandon. We do have a little couple movies. Fucking brilliant. <laughs> See, that's why the I 90s are the best. Right, the 90s enjoyed. always had the best music. If you enjoy the podcast or are a fan of our reviews, we please ask that you subscribe wherever you're listening and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Uh, season two is well on its way, and this is our second rom-com movie in uh, our series of three. Uh, if you're interested, you can find us on Instagram at the.gentlemanpodcast. The dot means a lot. You can visit our website at gentlemanpodcast.com. And if you want to, you can reach out to us by email at hosts with an S at thegentlemanpodcast.com. For legal reasons, we don't condone or encourage anyone under the age of the. All right, stop it. <laughs> Soundtrack of our lives. This is literally our best one. Stop. I'm not season, done. Season two is different, guys. Oh, sorry. For legal reasons, we don't condone we or encourage any, anyone. 
under the age of 21 to drink along with us. And of course, because we live in a ridiculous society where people are stupid. Stupid. stupid you must so stupid. Ask me, please not to drink and drive. If you're listening to us in the car. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you on the next episode of Three and a Half Gentlemen. Cheers. The 90s Way better song than a movie Do you think that's the best one this season? Literally the service We did great